Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. All right, so we're going to talk about Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Before I go to Ecclesiastes, let me just give you a brief overview of Song of Solomon. You ready? Here goes like this. Don't awaken love before it's time. If you do, you better get married. That's bottom line in Song of Solomon. That's the bottom line. You may say it one more time for you. Don't awaken love before it's time. I'm keeping it PG. A lot of kids in the room. Because if you do, you better get married. You know? All the married folks just said, yep, that's right. Amen. <clears throat> so, Paul, I mean, Paul even said this later on in, in the epistles. He said, hey, listen, man, mar- the marriage bed's undefiled. Whatever. You, you get married before God, you undefiled, you're good to go. But listen, you better not awaken love before it's time. Can I get another one more? Just amen, right? There you go. There you go. That's the Song of Solomon because everything else in between is like, whoo, you, you, you better be married when you go reading on that book. That's all I got to say. You know, stuff in there you can interpret in a whole different way. So we're going to Ecclesiastes. All right. How about that? I'll do a marriage seminar if you want to talk about anything further. All right. So Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. So if you got that there, I'm going to give you some scripture this morning, a couple of points and some things and, and give you a little different take on Ecclesiastes that maybe you haven't uh, thought about before. Ecclesiastes is an interesting book of the Bible. If you read this, you're going to take away some thoughts from an author who basically says everything is vanity, vanity, vanity. Everything's meaningless. It sounds like a guy who just has some really ish- big issues, right? Like, you know, you ever met somebody that seemed to have it all together? They got everything that life could give them, and then they complain about it? Oh, it's just so bad. You know, my Maserati just, I had to get the oil changed. Like, Really? Yeah, some on the Sunset Strip, and it's, you just don't understand how hard it is. Man, my Starbucks is like five blocks down the road, I have to walk. What? When you read Ecclesiastes, that's what it sounds like. Solomon is the guy who wrote this book. And when you read about Solomon, he is clearly defining this for you. He has more than anybody has ever had before in his life. And if he wants it, he gets it. Anything he wants, he gets. You go look at his relationship status. I mean, your brother had more wives and concubines than you got Facebook on friends. You know what I'm saying? He had anything he wanted, anytime he wanted it. And he's telling you, it's vanity, vanity, vanity. It doesn't mean anything. There's nothing. It's worthless. Life is meaningless. So when you read this, you can get a little depressed. I mean, you read it, you go like, what's wrong with him? Brother needs a vacation or what? Like, I don't know. But I want to read to you a little bit different. Let me give you a couple of thoughts from an individual's perspective. And he calls himself a teacher, Okay. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts that's in Ecclesiastes all the way through, and then I'm going to shift gears a little bit. So I'm going to build a little bit of a thought here. You're going to just have to hang tight and, and think a little bit this morning a little differently because I'm, I'm not going to, um, I'm going to give you some things and I'm going to shift gears. So you just got to pay attention a little bit on this, okay? But he refers to the limitation of humanity in several ways. First of all, he says this, success doesn't last. It doesn't last forever. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 1.11. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. That's a sombering thought. Uh, you know, I'd love to think, well, people would remember the work that we put into this church, but I promise you they won't. I bet most of you, there's only a few people here would actually know the founders of this church in 1937. Most of you have no idea the history of the church. You don't, you don't even know them. And that's sad, but on one hand, it's the biblical truth. No one's going to remember what you're doing 100 years from now. No one. They, they will not remember you. Listen, watch this. Your family will not remember you. 
Can you even name your great, great, great grandparents? If some of you can, great, because you've been on Ancestry.com. That's good. Good for you. You got the whole thing to the DNA. You know what you are. That's great. But most people don't even know who their family tree is four or five generations back. No one remembers what we're doing in the future. Now, we don't remember the past. That's the problem right now we got is we, we, we're fighting over things that we don't even know what we're fighting over because we, we think we know history, but we really don't. We hear it all the time, history, history, history. Yeah, but I wish people just go read the history. Study some stuff. Instead of talking so much, go read it. Because we're fighting over things right now we don't even know about. Because we, we don't remember what happened in the past. And no one's going to remember what we do in the future. That's all throughout Ecclesiastes. One of the second themes you'll see is this. Our wisdom is limited. Now, I'm read you a little bit of paragraph here from Ecclesiastes 1.12. He says, I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore my wisdom. Everything being done under heaven. And I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. It sounds rough, man, when you hear that. You're like, man, what's this guy? He says, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Now, that's a common theme. You're going to hear that everywhere when you read Ecclesiastes this week. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and to folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. Now listen to what he says in verse 18. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. And when you hear that, you think, well, well that's in the Bible. What's the point of even learning something new? Why get educated then? But what he's saying is, the more that you know, the more grief it does bring you. For instance, isn't it true if you try to help somebody, you see them going down a bad street, and I mean in life, they're going down the wrong road, bad decisions are about to be made, you see it coming, it's like a movie, you see that it, you can see it before it ever gets there, you try to intervene and say, listen, this is not a good idea. And what do they say? You don't know me, you don't tell me what to do, don't talk to me about, I know Jesus, blah, 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 who do you think you are, oh, whatever they say. And you're like, please stop. Why? Because you know something they don't know. And when you see them go forward with it, now it's become grief because you're saying, I could have stopped you if you just listened to me, but they won't. And how many times can you see that repeat over and over and over and over again? That's what he's talking about. The more that you know about God and his ways, this is why society, it breaks your heart. Because people say, we can do whatever we want to do or whatever else. And you're trying to declare prophetically, as a preacher, as a member of Christ, the body of Christ, whatever. And when people don't listen, you say, but you don't understand knowledge. And the more wisdom you have, it can bring grief if you let it. Now, you don't have to let it, but it can if you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. But you don't have to. We're not made to carry the weight of the world or anybody else's weight for that matter. The third thing you'll see, this is a theme. Success doesn't last forever. Wisdom is limited. This is what you'll see in, in another theme in, in Ecclesiastes, is that injustice and wickedness seem to go unpunished. You see that all throughout Ecclesiastes. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes 3.16. He says, I saw under the sun, in the, in the place of judgment, he's talking about in the courts, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And then in the place of righteousness, talking about in the church, or the, in their day it would have been the, 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 the synagogues, the temples, etc. I see iniquity there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. So what he's saying is, 
you can get very discouraged by looking around you because it seems like injustice is present here and iniquities are present here. This is why it breaks your heart when you see Christian leadership fall. Does it not? You see it and you go, what happened? Why? This person seemed to be such an inspiration to so many people and they fail. And as a Christian, you look and go, it breaks your heart. Listen, I hate to tell you, but there are iniquities in the church. No sense in denying it. Might as well not hide it. Might as well not ignore it. But let's just be honest with one another. There are iniquities in the body of Christ. I don't care how much you preach about it. I don't care how much you pray about it. I don't care how much you worship and sing and oil it down and whatever you want to do. I'm just telling you, there's trouble and messed up issues in the church. Is it not true? People know it. No sense in us hiding behind it. We all know it. We have a bunch of messed up people. If you don't think, if you think you've got it all right, you're the only one in the room. Everybody else knows you don't. Might as well wake up to that reality. You look in the justice system. Is there injustice? Yes. But do you blame everybody in there? No. There's great people that do great work in both the church and in the justice system. But the bottom line is this. There's wickedness in one and, and iniquities in the other. Yes, there is. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to let it get you down, break your heart, walk around, mope around like this guy here? Or are you going to chalk it up and say, you know what? It is what it is. But the Lord says, vengeance is mine. At some point, we've got to put our hands in the, our case in the hands of a just God. These three things, you see all throughout Ecclesiastes, and I'm not even preaching on this. I want to establish it so you understand, as an individual, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes as an individual, this is what you're going to get out of it for the most part. And it can sound a little bit depressing. But when you understand what this book is about, it shifts the perspective a little bit. The bottom line, he says this in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. the conclusion is this. When everything has been heard, it's this. Fear God and keep his commands because this applies to every person. That's what he says. And when you read that, that's about the theme of Ecclesiastes. And if you take that as an individual, it's, it's good, but that is not the intent of Solomon. He did not intend for you to read this and accept it as an individual. He was doing something very different here that we sometimes don't know. So what is the intent of this individual called Solomon? So let's look at this and ask this question because he says this about himself. He's the teacher. Who then is he talking to? So at the very beginning of Ecclesiastes, it says this, the teacher. He doesn't say, I, Solomon. He says, the teacher, I, the teacher. Very interesting word. If I say, hey, the teacher, some of you guys are teachers in our school systems and whatnot. Um, if I say the teacher, most of you hear that and you say, well, it's one who instructs. And you would be right. But in Solomon's case, that's not exactly all he is. He is a king. He is a person who has been established as the king. He's also the wisest person that's ever, been, that's ever existed based on his own declaration and on what he got from God. But the teacher means this. The teacher, or it's also the word preacher, and it means this. It's a Hebrew word called koheleth. Now, I can't pronounce it very well. That's just the best I can do, okay? Koheleth, all right? It's, it's a title. It's not a personal name. And just let me give you the definition real quick about this. It just means this, one who does something for the assembly. Now, be sure you hear that. One who does something for the assembly, because it's not the same as reading as an individual. Automatically, if you think about that, He's doing something for the assembly and not as an individual. Very important because that shifts 
a little bit how you understand Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, it's a title he gives for himself, okay? Interesting word. The Greeks translated, this is a Hebrew word, and I'm not going to give you a Greek-Hebrew deal all day long, but this is important. The Greeks translated this word, koheleth. They translated it into a word that you probably have heard before. If you not, you will hear it today and understand it differently. It is the word ekklesia. The word ekklesia is where we get our English word from called church. Koheleth is his name, the teacher. It means in the Greek, ekklesia, which is where we get our English word church, which is what this is right now. So when you hear him talk about this, and ecclesia, it just simply means this. It means to be called out from. You are, as a Christian body of believers, this is, I'm talking about just us right now. There's many other churches too. But as the ecclesia, you are what Christ calls the called out ones. You've been set apart by the Lord in a sense. You don't belong to this world. You're not of this world. The Bible tells us this over and over and over again, but we sometimes forget. You don't really belong here. Sandra's daddy... Listen, that's a tough thing, but I'm telling you right now, that man is with Jesus right now. He loved Jesus. And I tell you what, I told her, I said, what an awesome thing, though. If you got to go, go on the Lord's day. You know what I'm saying? He'd just go out in a blaze of glory with Jesus on the Lord's day. How cool is that? Because this world is not everything. But when you read Ecclesiastes, you will think that it is. If you read from an individual's perspective. But if you understand what he was doing, it shifts what he's saying. So the word church, let me read it in case you've never heard this verse of Scripture before. If you're watching online, if you've never heard this before, it'll make sure you understand the word ecclesia and where it comes from. Because we say this in Christian circles, this is what we've always said. The first time the word church is ever mentioned is in this verse. That's not true. That's only the English version of that word. Because we didn't have a word to describe it. So let me give it to you, Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Ecclesia, the called out ones, and the very gates of hell will not overpower. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's the word ecclesia. That comes from the word koheleth, which is Solomon saying, I'm the teacher, I'm the koheleth. Boom, it goes to ecclesia, uh, uh, the word ecclesia, and then it goes to the word church. And a lot of times we say, well, that's the first time it's ever been mentioned. It's not true. It's just our definition of it. you got to go back a little further to understand why this is important. Okay? So very quickly, let me just give you a couple of thoughts on this. The word koheleth and where it comes from and why this is so important for you as a Christian. In the Old Testament, the word comes from the word kahal. Best I can do for you? Don't critique my pronunciation. Doing the best I can for you there. It's used in the Old Testament as the assembly of Israel. The assembly of Israel. And then again, obviously, this is the word where ecclesia comes from. It goes to both different words. And it can mean something in this word, kohel. It can simply mean this in Israel in their time. It could be a mob in the streets. It could be the prophets as a group, the assembly of the elders, Israel as a whole. It can be any gathering of people at any time that gets together. But when they dismiss, it has been dissolved. It's no longer there. It is here when we gather. When we leave, it's gone. And it could be for anything. That's the word was what it means. And let me give you a couple example. Deuteronomy 4.10, okay? Y'all with me, right? Y'all hanging on? Okay, hang tight. Deuteronomy 4.10 says, Remember the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, Mount Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble, kahal, assemble the people to me. 
that I may let them hear my word so they may learn to fear me in all the days they live on earth, that they may teach their children. When they dismissed, it dismissed. It was a temporary assembling, and then they broke apart. It kind of sounds like the Avengers, you know, like it's like Captain America saying, Avengers what? Assemble. But they don't hang out all the time. They leave and go home and eat like regular food or whatever. I don't know what they do. Anyway, put a little modern pop culture in there for you. They come together and they leave. Another version of this. This is the New Testament. The word ecclesia is simply used as a gathering here. Listen to this. <clears throat> this is Acts 19.32. So some were shouting one thing and some another. It sounds like today, don't it? Don't it sound like today a little bit? There were some shouting. Look, just, just keep reading. You'll hear. There's some shouting in one thing and some another. For the assembly was in confusion. Lord Jesus, help us all. And the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Is that not about the same today? We're going to shout about this and shout about that. We don't even know what we're shouting about, but we're shouting. Ah! And we're together, but we don't know why we're together. That is a ecclesia in the Greek. It just simply means a gathering. So a third one, as we're going to shift now to what it means for you. The word ecclesia is being used as a gathering of the saints. So in the Old Testament, they had this. This was not the first time this was used. Jesus just used it in a way that we use the word church. But this is not the first time they gathered together. The word ecclesia is used as a gathering of the saints. These local believers, they gather together, whether it be business, something for the church, or whatever. But listen to this in 1 Corinthians 5.4. It says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus. This is what you're doing right now. This is a gathering of the saints. It is different than a gathering for your favorite little whatever. It's different than getting together and shouting about something you believe and agree, whatever, for this world to blah, 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 blah. This world ain't going to remember a thing you're shouting about right now. They don't care what you're arguing about. They don't care what you believe in because they're going to forget about you. But this right here, now you stepped into a whole different world of Ecclesia. Because this is different. When we gathered here this morning to worship Jesus, something was different about this gathering. The Lord took notice about this gathering. So he don't take notice about all our yin-yanging out there. I don't like this. I like that. I don't agree with that. I don't get it. And we get some people together that agree with us. Ah, yeah, you think, ah, yeah, I think so too. Ah, we're together now. Boy, we're going to do something. No, you ain't going to do nothing. You're going to do nothing. You're going to talk about it. But when you come in here, stuff changes. When you come in here and you say, Lord, I know you're with me. Listen, he says, that's right, I'm with you. No matter what you feel like, when you worship God, there's something changes when you come together in this ecclesia. That's why it's not the same as getting together with your buddies down here for this or going over here for that. When you get together in your place of employment, this is different. That's why when we come into the church, we ought to expect it to be different. If I come in here with the same expectation as I do when I go get together with my buddies at, at the water cooler or wherever I get together at on the job, I'm just telling you, expectations are all in the wrong place. This is a different gathering. When saints come together, the Holy Spirit is here. The Lord Jesus is here. And if we forget that, God help us, we might all need to go out that door, walk out that door, get back on the asphalt, stop for a minute. Remember, when I go in this house, something's different in here. But he's here when I walk in there. I know he's with me everywhere I go. But when we assemble together, he says, if any two or three of you get together, watch this. Here's the difference. In my name, not in your little Facebook name, you know, I don't like this and I don't like that. The political, whatever. 
But when you get in my name, oh, I'm going to be with that. See, people are confused. They think he's with them and all they're yelling and screaming about this and that and the other. He's not. There's a lot of mobbish activity going on in Christian circles and in secular circles, and they think God's with them. He's not. Because if they didn't acknowledge Jesus in the midst of that group in the gathering, if they didn't say, Lord Jesus, you are welcome here, I'm sorry, you're just a gathering. That's not the church. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Y'all with me, right? Y'all cool? Making nobody upset, am I? Because I feel like some people like thinking like, well, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't care if you agree or not. I'm telling you the truth. This is truth. I, I know. Will you agree or don't agree? This is real. This is truth. And maybe you're thinking right now, man, I don't know if I was expecting Jesus to be here when I got here. That's okay. You can expect it right now. He's with you. Maybe he's sitting in the seat beside you. I don't know. Don't see, doesn't that just shift your mentality a little bit to think, he's not sitting at my table. He's not sitting with me in my seat. Well, he could be. Wait a minute. Thank you very much. There you go. See, he's here. Now, when you get together at lunch today, he's with you, but it's not the same. He comes here and brings all of who he is because we gathered in his name. The fourth one, let me just give you this. This is the word ecclesia again. So there's a couple of different meanings. You just got to understand this, right? So let let me just say this before I read this one to you. When we dismiss here, that ecclesia that I said about, that we're gathering together as a worship, as a, as a church, when we dismiss in about 15 minutes or so, or 10 minutes rather or less, when we dismiss, that ecclesia has dissolved. Do you understand? It's gone. That 930 to 1035, 1040 window has just been released. Now, there's another one coming in 1130, and they speak Spanish. And they'll bring the Lord Jesus, come right back in there in their midst because they gather together in his name and they worship God just in a different language. Same thing's going on there. Jesus knows Spanish just like he knows English. Probably knows Spanish better because we got, you know, I'm just saying anyway, it's, it's just a more of a Latin-based language. But anyway, he's here. But when they leave at about 12, well, let's just be honest. Pastor Victor, sometimes like, well, they go the longer we go, about 1130, about 12, they're about 130 sometimes. And you know what I mean? The, the Lord is like, he leaves with them. It's, it's dismissed. Now, this is the one, though, that everybody talks about that we hear so much about. And this is the word ecclesia, and this is the called-out church, okay? It's the permanent group of believers in Christ. It's the called-out church. And over 90 different times this is mentioned in your New Testament. The called-out church. So, Pastor, what does it have to do with the book of Ecclesiastes? I'm telling you in just a minute. But let me give you an illustration of the, <clears throat> of the called-out ones, the permanent group of believers. So that, in other words, you understand this, whether you are here in your bed, whether you take a vacation, it doesn't matter where you go. You can go to the moon as an astronaut, jump on SpaceX and take off and come back. It don't matter. He is with you everywhere you go. That's why the psalm says if you make your bed in hell, he's there. You, you just can't, you can't get rid of him. You just can't, no matter. He just will not leave you. It says Hebrews 12, 22. So listen to the illustration of this. He says, but you've come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels. Now listen to the way he breaks this down. To the general assembly, that is the gathering and the dismissal of the ecclesia. That is when we leave out here at about, you know, like I said, about less than 10 minutes, you're taking that little group, it's dismissing. Then he says, to the church of the firstborn. That's the universal ecclesia of Jesus. That's everybody. That's the firstborn is Jesus. The church of the firstborn. That's all, the whole group. 
who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, who's the judge of all. Now watch this. This gets weird. He's the judge of all. It's the ecclesia of the world. It's everybody, both Christian and non-Christian. He's the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That's referring to the martyrs of the ecclesia, who died for Jesus and for his ecclesia. All the apostles that you read about in your Bible, with the exception of John, all of them martyred for their faith. Healed for the, the fact they believed in Jesus. These individuals. Then he says this, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, or you could say this, the mediator of the ecclesia, his church. And to the sprinkled blood, which speaks a better covenant, or speaks better than the blood of Abel, it declares the innocence of his ecclesia. Why is all that important? Because when you discuss Ecclesiastes, he is instructing a group, a congregation, and not an individual. This is not an individual who just got upset one day and looked around and said, man, I got 100,000 chariots. I got all these wives. I got all this stuff going on. I got all this. I got this, got that, and I'm just depressed. I need some medicine or whatever else. I don't know. It wasn't that. He was instructing a group to inform them of a very important truth. Jesus said this. He said, I will build my ecclesia or my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He did not say I'm building, listen very carefully, my individual. This is very important. The next few minutes here, you you better catch what I'm saying right now. He did not say, I am building my individual. So you contrast that the next time you hear a believer talk about, y'all can't tell me anything, I don't agree with that. Now, listen to all the eyes that go in their statements. Jesus isn't building a bunch of eyes. He never said, I will build you up and lift you up my little buttercup, little cupcake, handle all your little stuff because you need to help. No, 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 he never said that. He said, I'm building my church, an assembly of believers, local and universal. I'm not just building you. We like to think he's all about us. He's not. He's about his church. And in his church, you got all kind of things that go on that you're like, well, I don't know if I like them. It don't matter whether you like them or you like me. It's like Pastor Stephen said last week. If you're called to it, you're a part of it. If you're not called to it, then that's fine. But if you're called to it, it don't matter if you like my clothes, like my shirt, like my shoes. I don't care. It don't matter. We're a part of the church. We're a part of something that goes way deeper than preference. It's called the blood of Jesus. And the problem with individuality, individuality, I can't even say it, individuality, when you bring it into Christianity, is this. It doesn't work. It does not work. You cannot live alone in the kingdom of God. You cannot do it. Even biblically, I could show you, and I don't have time, in 1 Corinthians 12, numerous places where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the gifts of empowerment, of ministry. You can't even do that by yourself. We have something that is uniquely been given to us by Jesus, and it is his church. It is not individual. And so when he talks about this, the power of the church, you understand this, is not in the preacher. It's not in the pastor. It's in his church. But isn't it true that we are conditioned to think where the power is, is up here. About a two-by-two area, it's where whoever's speaking, 
They must be the people that know about God. Well, hopefully they know about God. But hopefully it's not just them. Hopefully it's in his church. That it's not just up here on the platform that his church is the one that he is empowering for ministry and do other things. Let me just say this before I close out. The kingdom of God is not built on personality. It's built on the blood of Jesus. The kingdom is not about one or two or three people that just got it figured out. No, no, no. It's about all of us in here. You are a part of something that is much greater than just coming on a Sunday morning. Watch this. And when we leave thinking that's it, that is a small part. And that is not even the main part of what we do. You need to know that you are part of something greater and bigger. That there's 100 plus churches in this city that are meeting probably right about now sometime. And you're a part of that same gathering. And that same blood that was shed for you was shed for them too. And when you see the person that gives you the stuff at the drive-thru, and they're a believer, where they believe different than you or not, it doesn't matter. Denominationalism, this is why it's so messed up, is because we think that we've got it figured out. And again, we don't. It's just preference most of the time. I don't like that, so I won't believe that. (laughs) When we get to heaven, we're going to find out how messed up we all are. But the bottom line is, we are one body together. This is why David said, list this. Listen to the pronouns in this statement. David said, watch this in Psalm 122. He said, I was glad, watch this, when they, who was they? That's a group of people saying, we're going to worship the Lord. Not just one person. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And when we truly come together, and I mean really come together, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, can I just ask us a question? Let's just be real honest this morning. I'll give you about two minutes and we're going to let you go. You can dismiss from this ecclesia in just a moment. But you're going to take the whole thing with you. Can we just be real honest this morning? Just be real honest. Take it in for a minute. If we were really together, like Scripture tells us, would the gates of hell really, really be doing what they're doing right now? It's a funny thing because our culture says it's up to this area up here. It's up to this right in here. This is whatever that, this has got to be the thing. No, 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 no. We're the church. It's up to us. When the Holy Spirit convicts you and says, pray for that person on the job. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me right now? I can't do that. What if they fire me? Hey, 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 hey. Somebody was martyred for you. How dare us stop the move of what God would have you do on the street? Somehow the idea has been given that this is where it's supposed to happen. I'm telling you right now, I don't care if we pray for 100 people on Sunday morning. What I would rather see is 100 people pray for 100 people out there. Not in here. I'll pray for you in here. And I love to pray for people. That's great. But I'd much rather see us be the church out there than ever in here. But American Christianity says it's in here. Let's come and be a part of something. That's great. That's fantastic. But I'll tell you what. I get more ministry opportunities out there than I ever do in here. Because my idea is that the most of you guys know Jesus. <laughs> At least that's my hope. Praying that you do, that we come in here as believers. I'm, we're worshiping God. But my thing is, I think most of y'all are saved. But out there, 
There's people every day that's broken, they're hurting, and they need Jesus. And they need His church. They need His church. They need your knowledge, what you know about God. They don't need me. They need you. Listen, man, our kids right now, they don't need another Pastor Jody. Our kids right now, you know what they need? They need more people to step up and say, I'm going to pour into some kids here at the church. Why? We're so worried about changing the culture out there. Hey, how about we work on some culture in here? What if we work on some of the stuff that we think is right and what's wrong? What if we put into our culture and change us, and then we can go change the culture out there? What do you think about that? I think that would work better because that's basically biblical, right? So, Pastor Jody, why then? Why Ecclesiastes? Why are you doing this? All right, here, let me just tell you why. The word Ecclesiastes, are you ready? If you hadn't figured it out yet, but it's listening to the word, if you hadn't figured out yet what the word Ecclesiastes means, it means this, from the one who leads the assembly. Solomon was never preaching as an individual. He was never giving you a little diatribe about his issues and all his problems and everything else he had going on. He was like, oh, my life stinks and I'm driving a Maserati at Starbucks five blocks down the road on a Sunset Strip. No, that's not what he was doing. He was saying to all of us, listen very carefully right now. Listen, you can build all the homes you want. Great, go for it. But don't forget to build God's house too. He said, man, you can achieve all you want to achieve. That's great. Be what you want to be. Do what God's called you. Have a career. Yes, but don't forget to bring those skill sets into my house too. He was saying, yes, you can increase your finances all you want. That's great. But don't forget to help increase the finances in my house too. You see what he's saying? Don't forget who he's talking to here. It was to a congregation. He was saying this. Don't, he's not putting down your wisdom. He said, hey, bring your wisdom into my house too. Because we could use that to help reach a group of people outside the church walls. And the teacher was saying this when he was talking about vanity, vanity, vanity. He said, listen, I'll tell you right now. In this world, you can build this, you can achieve that, have a career, build a business, whatever you want to do. You can do all these different things, but here's what he was saying. If you don't have God in the center of all that you do, you will end your life looking back saying, it was worth nothing. Listen, guys, I'm going to tell you something. Sandra's dad and all, it's, 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 hard, it's hard for her this week. And I'm thankful for people like that who know Jesus, they go on to be with the Lord. But listen, as a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals, a lot. I've been in situations that most of you, I pray to God, you never have to hear. And I've heard people say these very words. They've done this, they've done that, they've accumulated, they've got, and in the end, they say, if I had to do it all over again, I would do this. And almost the majority of the time, they say, I'd have put more emphasis on my walk with God than all my things that I accumulated. Take a letter from the sages of time, man. Make an adjustment right now. If anything this last year has done, hopefully it's changing our thought process. But in everything that I do, and then in my life, what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be known for? Because the wisest person ever that was on the human planet is telling us, you can have everything you want, but without God, it's going to be meaningless. And I don't mean as you don't have God. I mean, you know how we can get wrapped up in this world. We can get tied up in it and think this is all there is. And you and I both know 
It's not. It's temporary. So I want to pray for you this morning. Those of you watching online as well, I want to pray for you as well. Take a moment here just to uh, pray for you. <clears throat> Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today and we acknowledge, Lord, that, that as we stand before you today in your gathering, Lord, in, the, in your church, Lord, we just come to you today and we say, Father, help us to see things a little bit different, God. Help us to see you in our lives, God, in our career right now. Lord, in the thing that we're doing for others, I pray in the name of Jesus, <clears throat> God, that you'd help us as you speak to us, Holy Spirit. If you ask us to pray for people, I pray that we would be obedient and pray with people. I pray, Lord, that it, <clears throat> as we're generous, and God, we do things for other people, I pray that we'll be generous in your house. God, I pray for those things that we're doing as we're building a career, going to college and learning all these different things. I pray in the name of Jesus that we don't forget to bring that wisdom that you have gifted us with into your house and help build your church. Because that is the thing that you are building, Jesus, is your church. You're not building our careers, you're not building our lives, you're not building our homes, you're not building our 401ks. You're building your church. And God, if we put that first, everything else will fall into place. I pray today if there's anybody here that doesn't know you or anybody watching online that doesn't know you, I pray for them right now. With your eyes closed, no one looking around right now, you say, I don't know Jesus and I've never accepted Christ. <clears throat> if you're watching online as well, I just want to pray for you right now. You just simply pray this prayer if the Holy Spirit's touching your heart saying you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to pray with you right now. The whole church is going to pray. You just acknowledge this to Jesus right now. Just say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I ask you, Lord, to help me live for you. I surrender everything. Forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, I make you my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you, right, church? Would you give me a hand right now? The church gives you a hand, right? Before I dismiss you and speak this over you right now, just a reminder, if you prayed that prayer or you need ministry in any way whatsoever, you type in the words on your phone or at home, connect.cornerstonerealm.com. We'll help you get started walking with God. You can download all the Bible study guides we've done for every book of the Bible. You can download those on our website as well. Just go to the story.cornerstonerealm.com. Get all the tools you want right there on our website. It's all free. No charge for any of this stuff. And uh, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, before I go, before we dismiss this ecclesia, this is your little one, and, one hour and 15 minute dismissal time right here. Just remember, when you leave here, you're still part of a greater ecclesia. This one is just starts and stops but you're a part of a greater one as we go out today. The scriptures say this, may the Lord bless you and protect you or keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. May God bless you guys so much. We'll see you next week. Actually, we'll see you Wednesday night. If you want to come Wednesday night at six o'clock, we're having midweek. Love to see you then. God bless you. You're dismissed. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.